Welcome back to the College Hoops Mania Podcast. I'm your host, Wes Troyer, and I'm back to talk everything college basketball with you guys. It's been an eventful weekend, and uh, in a past week in the college hoops world, as I'm recording this on Tuesday the 15th, but a lot of major headlines from this past week in college basketball. A lot of what everyone's been talking about on Twitter, especially, and you know, just people everywhere talking about college basketball is the Coach K, Mike Krzyzewski comments on his decision to um, basically drop out of the rest of his non-conference slate and to only play conference games the rest of the way, which uh, a lot of people, you know, gave a lot of hate to Krzyzewski for that decision and, you know, was blaming on the fact that, well, his team is not good this year as they're sitting at 2-2 two and two with losses to Michigan State and Illinois, both at home in games that they didn't really compete in, the Michigan State game ended up being, you know, a six-point loss or something like that, and the Illinois game wasn't very close. But he still took a lot of heat for it because they're like, well, your team sucks, and so now you just you don't want to play basketball just because your team sucks. Uh, I have mixed feelings on the whole thing. I see the point where Krzyzewski, like, this has been something that he's always wanted in the off season, he was always for pushing the basketball start date to January, and obviously that didn't happen. So, I mean, Shashevsky's always been in favor of delaying the basketball season, not playing uh, non-conference games and stuff like that. However, his whole thing was like he seemed as though he was trying to make a point where like he was trying to be safe and you know protect his players from COVID, whether he genuinely believes that that's the right thing to do or not but that's kind of the way he was that was kind of his thing for doing this it appeared and so he did that but then he decides to let his players go home in in a time where you're not supposed to go home you're not supposed to be traveling like that and so he kind of contradicts himself in that way which I would say is this major problem in the whole thing Krzyzewski says that we're not playing non-conference games. We're only playing conference games the rest of the way. Alabama's coach, Nate Oates, comes out and responds to this statement by basically saying that they only don't want to play these games. Krzyzewski doesn't want to play these games due to the fact that Duke is 2-2 two and two and they don't have a good team this year. He was saying if they would be 4-0, you know, if they wouldn't have been losing these games, Krzyzewski would have never made these statements, which honestly may be true because I don't think like, Krzyzewski may have still felt inside that, like, we shouldn't be playing these games, but it wouldn't, he wouldn't have felt as much passion about it because, he, I mean, his team would be 4-0. They'd be looking good. So, yeah, Nate Oates came out and said that and ends up saying not just that, but, like, that it's great for college basketball to be going. You know, mental health is a bigger issue than COVID is basically what his point was. And Tom Izzo came out and respond and kind of he didn't respond to Nate Oates, but he was you know kind of agreeing with him. He also was saying how mental health is a bigger issue than people are treating it as, and mental health is just getting killed with these kids not being able to play basketball, being inside, not doing anything. And I would tend to take part on the side of Nate Oates and Tom Izzo on the fact that we should be playing these games. I mean, it's not like we're doing it unsafely. People are getting tested every day before every game. You see a lot of times one positive in the program, the, the program's on pause, you know, 10 days, however long, 14 days sometimes. You have programs like DePaul hasn't even played a game yet. 
they just got put on pause again last night after being uh, put off pause, and they still haven't played a game. I mean, programs are doing this safely. They're not being reckless about things. And so I think college basketball is a great thing for these kids. I mean, you don't hear players complaining about it. They're all in favor of playing. So yes, I definitely take side with Nate Oates. I mean, maybe he shouldn't have put it the way he did on that. Shashevsky's only doing this because he's losing games. That may or may not be true. But Nate Oates also did come out and apologize publicly to Shashevsky and privately to Shashevsky. However, getting past that, probably the major headline on Saturday, or one of the major headlines on Saturday, was Kentucky going to one and four after they lose their second game of the season in Rupp Arena as they lost to Notre Dame 64-63 in a game that they were down 24 points in and ended up having a shot to win it at the buzzer, which Olivier Saar missed a short corner mid-range jumper to win it at the buzzer for the Cats. Obviously, this is historic. Or Kentucky, I believe, hasn't been to a 1-4 start in 36 years. They suffered their largest halftime deficit ever at Rupp Arena on Saturday. So, I mean, it's major historic stuff for Kentucky going on right now and obviously their fan base is panicking and it looks like it may be a time to panic although we know they have the talent Terrence Clark and BJ Boston are lottery picks on that team Olivier Saar could possibly be another first round pick on the team they had the number one recruiting class coming in with Boston with Clark with Isaiah Jackson with Cameron Fletcher with Lance Ware I mean they were just loaded in talent coming in they, the Cats have it. People know it. They have the talent. And Calipari's done it before. I mean, their teams have started slow. Not this slow, but I mean, they've started slow before. And they've, by the time February, March comes around, they're playing great basketball and are always one of the best teams in the country. I will say, you see Duke and Kentucky off to starts like this with young teams. Kentucky more than Duke. Kentucky's younger than Duke is what I'm saying. And, I mean, they have short summers. Krzyzewski and Calipari have less time to work with their teams. And you're seeing different results this year, which may be a large part to the short summer. Because their summers with their young guys and having all these new faces of the program, I mean, is honestly more important than most other programs. Because most other programs have returning guys that played significant minutes the years before. And Duke does have some guys like that. I mean, they still have Wendell Moore and Matthew Hurt, which played last year, Jordan Goldwire. But the truth is, Kentucky has been playing zero guys that played any minutes for them a year before. Keon Brooks hasn't played a game yet. Everybody else left. They brought in Olivier Saar, obviously experienced, but never has played at Kentucky. They brought in Davion Mintz, experienced, never played at Kentucky. So, I mean, I think people need to relax on Kentucky a little bit. I mean, they showed significant fight in that second half. They locked down defensively. We, everybody saw what they can do defensively. Notre Dame is, has great guards, and they just shut them down in the second half. The ball pressure from Askew, from Mintz, I mean, the whole squad just really deed up. And Olivier Saar showed that he is a man down low. So, I mean, Kentucky, although they lost Saturday, did show serious signs of what they could possibly be down the road. Maybe looking as... Relying defensively for victories for this Kentucky team, and they don't play again until the following Saturday or this upcoming Saturday against UCLA. 
which will be a major game for them. See how they improve one week from one week after their 64-63 loss to Notre Dame. They'll play again on against UCLA, so they have another major opportunity coming up. Last night, though, Marquette. How about Marquette? They come out and they win in Omaha. A significant win for Marquette, and it's not just their first significant win of the year. They beat Wisconsin already. I mean, Marquette loses Marcus Howard, and it appears that it's not necessarily affecting them a lot. Yeah, very impressive win last night for Marquette as they win 89-84. I mean, you look, Marquette doesn't have Marcus Howard like I just said, but this may be Wojo's most balanced team that he's had at Marquette. I mean, they brought in DJ Carton, the Ohio State transfer who was highly recruited coming out of high school. They brought in Dawson Garcia, another freshman, who was highly recruited out of high school. They still have Theo John. They still have Jamal Kane. They still have Kobe McEwen. I mean, Justin Lewis has showed great signs there. It's maybe not a deep Marquette team, but it certainly is a balanced Marquette team and maybe Wojo's most balanced Marquette team he's had. So yeah, Marquette's sitting at 5-2 and two with two major wins and probably... No team has as good of two wins as Marquette has to this date. I mean, Carton had a great game last night, but transitioning to the other side of this, Creighton now sitting at 4-2. and two. They had the tough loss to Kansas where Zagorowski misses the last free throw. And, I mean, there's no shame in losing at Kansas by one. Like, they played, they played a great game. Kansas is a great team. There's no shame in that loss. The home loss to Marquette is a little more concerning especially when you look at Creighton, which we knew going into the year. This is a team that doesn't have a lot of size, but they're going to be extremely tough to guard as they are putting five guys out there that can handle the ball, similar to what they did last year. But, I mean, honestly, even more dangerous this year. I mean, they start they start Balak, Zagorowski, Mahoney, Jefferson, and Bishop. All those guys can move really well. They can handle the ball. They can shoot. Bishop, not as great of a shooter. All the rest of them can shoot it pretty well. And you look at Creighton last night. They make 14 threes. And that was the issue going into the year. You're like, is this team going to rely too much on the three-point ball? Well, last night, they made 14 of them and still couldn't win at home against a Marquette team that may be, better, may be a lot better than what people thought, but, I mean, is still a team that lost Marcus Howard and wasn't necessarily highly respected coming into this year. So it's, it is a little concerning for Creighton because you would think the games that they would struggle in would be when they're not shooting it well from the three-point line. However, they made 14 of them last night and still could not hold off Marquette. So, I mean, it's a little concerning for Creighton. Definitely one of the best offensive teams in the country, but if they're going to struggle this much defensively and if their great offense can't even necessarily hold off Marquette, which isn't like is a good offensive team, but it's not like it's an elite. It's not like it's Iowa. It's not like it's Gonzaga. It's a little concerning for Creighton. I mean, they're obviously still a very good team because they're so gifted offensively. They have great shooters all around the floor. Mismatch nightmare. Denzel Mahoney is a mismatch nightmare. Inside, outside. I mean, he's very difficult to defend. They definitely bring challenges to teams, but. Creighton definitely has some serious defensive issues and rebounding issues. Defensive, re- like if they're if they're too small and they can't rebound the ball, 
they're going to need to figure something out. They're maybe going to have to play Epperson or Cal Brenner more. I mean, uh, McDermott loves to play his small ball lineup and spread you out and create all those driving lanes. But if he can't rebound, especially like he couldn't rebound last night, it's going to be an issue for Creighton. Two days ago, the new AP Top 25 poll was released, and I mean... Nothing too crazy was happen happened in it. Uh, Michigan's ranked, Clemson's ranked. Both those teams are ranked from being unranked. Missouri is now 16th, obviously, as they beat Illinois on Saturday, which was a major win for that team and that program for Tonzo Martin. A big takeaway, I guess, from the AP poll is that there is six ACC and six Big Ten teams ranked. I mean, they make about half the poll. And there's currently three of the top six programs uh, in the poll are on pause right now in Gonzaga, Baylor, and Houston. Now Gonzaga will be out of it this weekend when they play Iowa on Saturday at noon, which is definitely the best game of the week in in a game that everyone's looking forward to. Nothing crazy in the AP poll. Duke's down to 21. Kentucky obviously still unranked and not receiving any votes now. Richmond dropped out of the poll. St. Louis is on the verge of breaking the poll as they're 27th right now. But yeah, the ACC and the Big Ten are definitely the the top two leagues this year, although the Big 12 is looking great too. Those three leagues are on a different level, and nobody's close to them this year. Obviously, I would, I would rank it, it goes Big Ten 1, probably Big 12 2 and ACC 3, honestly. I mean, the Big 12 only has 10 teams. Kansas State's not good. Iowa State's not good. The rest of them, pretty dang good. They're probably going to get seven. And they're top-heavy, too. I mean, they have some of the best teams in the nation. The ACC is looking maybe a little deeper than what people expected, but not very top-heavy. I mean, Duke's not great. Carolina's not great. Virginia's not great. Florida State's looking pretty good, but I want to consider them elite. So, yeah, those three leagues are on a different level this year. And then on Sunday, West Virginia just demolishes Richmond. I mean, it was close for, you know, the first, like, 12 minutes or so, and then West Virginia just absolutely flew away from Richmond, and Richmond just could not keep up. And, they and I mean, the small guards of Harris and Gilliard could not contain the pressure from West Virginia. Miles McBride is just taking miles, miles of jumps for West Virginia. The freshman last year, sophomore now, is just on a different level, and he has emerged as the best player and the leader on that West Virginia team. Now, what makes West Virginia so interesting is, obviously, they're always great defensively, and they and they pressure you, and they turn you over. But this is, this is one of Huggins' best offensive teams. He normally does not have an offense like this. I mean, he's got Shibway, he's got Culver down low, to provide the physicality and its true two centers makes them very unique, but they're efficient down there. And they can play with their backs to the basket and they can play inside well and they're comfortable with the ball. But then on the outside, you have McBride who shoots it. You got McNeil who shoots it. Emmett Matthews can shoot it. Tash Sherman can shoot it. I mean, they have guards that they create, they create the spacing for the two centers. I mean, you can't just dig down. You can't just pack it in on that team because they have threats from the outside this year, and it makes West Virginia very, very interesting. On Wednesday, however, a major headline will be the vote on if 
transfers will become immediately eligible this year. Now, a lot of transfers now are you know getting waivers, but it's it sounds like and it's expected to to pass the vote on for transfers to be immediate, immediately eligible this season. Jim Larnaga spoke about after his game on Saturday and their loss to Florida Gulf Coast very angrily as he has a transfer from Stony Brook, Elijah Oliani, who hasn't played this year because he hasn't gotten the waiver. He transferred from Stony and he hasn't been eligible. And he's very upset right now because he's like, we could use him in like, why wouldn't this be voted on before the season? Which is which is a good question from Larinaga. Like, why would the NCAA not have this figured out before now? December 16th, it'll be voted on. And another issue ha- he had with it is he won't know until 5 o'clock on December 16th. And their game is at 6 that night, he said, and so he's very angry about that. He'll literally have one hour to know before tip if his transfer will be able to play or not. So... That affects him a lot, and uh, it affects Notre Dame. And I'm a I'm a Notre Dame fan myself, so it's important for this ruling because they have a transfer from Santa Clara, Trey Words, who would impact them a lot. He's a he's a guard who can shoot it, kind of just like the rest of that Notre Dame bunch. And they really need depth right now, as they've only had seven scholarship players, eight on Saturday available, and so they Mike Bray's really looking for some serious depth to provide to that Notre Dame roster right now. So yeah, we'll hear about that ruling on December 16th, the Wednesday, at around 5 o'clock is for what I heard, and it sound like uh, it'll be approved, and that transfers will all become eligible this season. Transitioning into major matchups up to date through Friday of this week, we have some major games, the weekend will have some major games, but I'm not going to touch on those yet. I'm going to pick... A few games here of major matchups that that will be played on the upcoming days. First off, I'm getting Clemson, Virginia Tech, which will tip tonight, the Tuesday night, uh, an ACC opener for both of these teams. Uh, Clemson at Virginia Tech. Clemson's now ranked this week 24th. Virginia Tech just dropped out of the polls after they took a beating to Penn State in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. This is an interesting game. Clemson is uh, rated as one of the best defenses in the country. I believe they're like second on Ken Palm in defensive efficiency. And Virginia Tech, a team that has a lot of new faces, a lot of transfers. They have a Wofford transfer who has really impacted them a lot. And I mean, he was not he was like a solid player at Wofford, but he has just made m- major jumps at Virginia Tech, and that's Kivia Luma. And their coach is Mike Young now, who was the coach at Wofford, so that's probably a major connection on how Aluma got to Virginia Tech. But I'll take Clemson in this one. They just came off the win against Alabama on Saturday. They've beaten Purdue. They've beaten Mississippi State. And they just shut people down. They don't let people score. Virginia Tech, I'm not a firm believer in, despite the Villanova win. Uh, they weren't a great team last year. They lost their best player from last year. It just seems a little... A little bit iffy on them so far. I'm not a big believer in them yet, and I don't think their offense will be able to consistently score on this Clemson defense that has been shutting everybody down. Next up, we got Ohio State-Purdue on Wednesday night, which is another interesting game and Big Ten kickoff, uh, tip-offs for these teams, their first games in Big Ten play. Ohio State, obviously, has been pretty dang solid this year. 
they, they've really only played Notre Dame as their major test, but they did win that game in South Bend. Uh, EJ Liddell, I guess that game will also depend on if he plays or not, as he's been one of their best players, the sophomore big man. He's been sick, but they said it was non-COVID related, so his status for that game will be a major factor. I'm going to pick Purdue to win this game, partially because Ohio State has pretty little size, as Liddell's their biggest guy at 6'8". I mean, and Purdue has Zach Eady at 7'3", 7'4", whatever he is. They have Travion, who is another big guy down low. And I think Purdue's size will ultimately win it for them against Ohio State as they will result to be a little too big for Ohio State. Although Purdue has struggled of late, but I think that they will get the big win at home on Wednesday. Another big game on Wednesday is Duke at Notre Dame. See, Duke hasn't played since the Illinois game, on which they lost on their home floor to them by double digits. And Notre Dame might have Trey Wirtz playing in that game, which would be a major transfer uh, in availability for them as he is a great guard 6'5 who can shoot it and spread the floor and add depth for that Mike Bray team who desperately needs depth right now and so I'm going to take Notre Dame in this one with the addition of Trey Words I think uh, their ability to score the basketball in something that Duke has struggled to do so far this year I think that their scoring ability will ultimately be too much for Duke and that they'll pick up the big home win against Duke on Wednesday night. Next up on Thursday now, we got Kansas at Texas Tech. Uh, Both, you know, ranked teams. I believe both top 15 teams right now. Let's see, we got Texas Tech's at 14, and Kansas is at 5 right now. So, yeah. Uh, Texas Tech, another team, just like Ohio State, that doesn't have a lot of size, but they're full of a lot of guards, and they got some new faces also. And Mac McClung, who's been a major impact for them so far. They also have uh, VCU transfer Marco Santos Silva, who has been good down low for them. Uh, Texas Tech took the loss to Houston already, and that's all they have. And Kansas has taken the loss to um, Kansas took the, oh to Gonzaga to Gonzaga real early in the year. So this is a really tough one. I'm a little concerned about Texas Tech's size going for going forward this year, and if the, if they don't have the ability to score it consistently, especially against a team like Kansas who has David McCormick. I mean, Jalen Wilson's a mismatch nightmare for them, and honestly, Jalen Wilson has probably been the single biggest surprise, uh, positively, player-wise this year. Jalen Wilson has honestly came out of nowhere and has arguably been Kansas's best player to this date. No disrespect for Marcus Garrett, but yeah, Jalen Wilson has been great, and I will take Kansas to win on the road in this game. I just think Texas Tech isn't as good as necessarily people think. I think they're, I mean, they don't have anybody bigger than 6'7", I believe, that plays, which is a major, or at least starts, which is a major uh, concern for that team and their lack of size. So yeah, I'm going to take Kansas with the... McCormick and Wilson ultimately being too much for Texas Tech. Next up, we have BYU at San Diego State. San Diego State has now picked up two major wins as they have won in Pauley and beat UCLA. And then they also beat uh, Arizona State. So, yeah, San Diego State has two major wins right now. And now they play BYU, who is obviously one of the best teams in the BYU, in the, sorry, excuse me, the WCC. 
and uh, they got Alex Barcelo, who's one of the better guards in the country, and Matt Harms, transfer from Purdue, gives them a good size down low. But yeah, San Diego State, Jordan Shackle has been coming on very strong for them, who has taken on a new role since last year. I said he started a year ago, but he's taken on an entirely new role for San Diego State this year and played phenomenally last Thursday against Arizona State. I will take San Diego State to win this game. Their ability to score the ball as they've shown and they had I mean, their shot making ability. BYU hasn't necessarily like they've had some lapses so far this year, like USC ran them out of the gym. And San Diego State really hasn't shown a lot of weaknesses to this date. So I'll take San Diego State to win this game on Thursday. And then finally, a A ten matchup on Friday night, uh Davidson at Rhode Island. Both of these teams they got great they have both have a great guard that stars their team um in Kellen Grady for Davidson and Fats Russell for Rhode Island Grady obviously one of the best shooters in the country and Russell one of the most dynamic guards in the country but Makai Mitchell for Rhode Island their starting big guy just found out that he uh he'll be out four to six months so he's missing the rest of the season for Rhode Island which means uh his his brother um will probably be starting for them at the big guy position the the Mitchell brothers both play for Rhode Island and so now that the one's out the other one will probably plug in that is a big loss for Rhode Island although I don't think it necessarily impacts them enough to totally change the outlook of their season they still have the guard play for Rhode Island is what I love they got Fats Russell they got Jeremy Shepard and they have the Syracuse transfer Jalen Carey who are honestly phenomenal and so, yeah, I like Rhode Island, and I think Rhode Island will be at the top of the A-10, right up there with St. Louis, right up there with Richmond. So, yeah, I like Rhode Island in that game. But this weekend also, looking ahead, I mean, it's going to be a great weekend. We got the conference football or the football conference championships ahead, big games, Alabama-Florida, Notre Dame-Clemson, Ohio State-Northwestern. So, yeah, there's a great football weekend ahead of us that I'm looking forward to and I'm sure most of you are looking forward to as well and then you got Gonzaga and Iowa at noon on Saturday one versus three best matchup one probably the best non-conference matchup of the whole season so that's exciting you got the CBS Sports Classic on Saturday uh UCLA Kentucky see if Kentucky can bounce back in that one we also have Ohio State and North Carolina and we also have uh, Virginia and Villanova this weekend as well, so it's going to be a great weekend of sports. Ending on that note, however, that'll be the conclusion of this College Hoops Mania podcast episode, and I'll catch you guys later. See ya.